This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. Some of you may have clients, as I do and others do, uh, I have been made aware, uh, who like to give money to charity. There are so many ways to give money to charity. Some are, it's not to say that some are better than others, but some are maybe more uh, uh, family friendly than others, I guess maybe would be one way to frame that. So to talk about some of those very family-friendly ways to give to charity is my friend Jonathan Morrison. Jonathan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. Thanks, Brent. Yeah, happy to be here. You're, uh, you've sort of carved out a bit of a niche for yourself in this area, although I know we could talk about a ton of other stuff that has nothing to do with the charitable planning, and we would bore everybody to tears on all those other topics. So. <laughs> I want. I just want everybody to understand that your your depth of knowledge is not just on this topic. So they get that you're a, you're a well-rounded individual. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my my practice is centers just like you, Brent, on what we call advanced planning, which is all the geeky acronyms that you hear, idgits and slats and grats and all these things. That's pretty much ninety percent of my my practice. Um, you know, my I'm I'm here in in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, where I grew up, I've uh, been back for about seven years. I, I was in the Bay Area, so I, I went out there for law school and practiced in Silicon Valley uh, for about 10 years. Uh, most of my time was with uh, the Wilson Sonsini team in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Wilson does more IPOs than any other firm in the country. We took public Apple, Google, Tesla, Amazon, fa- uh, Facebook, uh, you name it. So I was one of the 15 tax and trust planning attorneys on the personal side. So anytime there was an exit, an IPO, we were representing personally, you know, the founders, executives, venture capitalists. So I got a lot of at-bats, a lot of repetitions day in, day out with, you know, nine to 12 figure estates. And and a lot of that was, you know, estate tax, death tax minimization. But of course, at that wealth level, wealth level, there's a lot of philanthropic, a lot of charitable goals. So I got a lot of exposure to charitable trust, which is what we're going to focus on. Yeah, no, I'm sure you did. And, and yeah, anybody who doesn't know the word or the 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 name of the firm, Wil- Wilson Sincini, they should just look them up. It's a massive law firm, but they have a really enormous presence in Silicon Valley. So yeah, if you think about typical big Silicon Valley companies, almost always you're dealing with Wilson Sonsini. It's it's an excellent firm. Your uh, your one or one of your your niche areas in the charitable side is on the charitable lead annuity trust. So I thought that would be something we could chat about today. It's uh it's an animal that I think quite a number of people have heard of, but you know, when you and that's even like a very narrow band of society. And then within that narrow band of society, far fewer have any idea how they actually work. So maybe, <laughs> maybe set the stage for us, at least in broad strokes of like, what are these things and how do they mechanically work? And then we can get into some of the cool stuff. Yeah. So, so you're, you're right on um, the clat. It's sort of this arcane beast. I mean, it's been the tax code since 1969, just like the charitable remainder trust, but you know, it's always just kind of viewed as this very weird thing that nobody really, I, I even get a lot of financial advisors that I say, a uh, uh, charitable lead trust. And they say, oh, you mean a charitable remainder trust? They say, no, oh, there's this <laughs> other thing called the, 
the CLT. And, and, and the reason is, is CRTs, which are extremely common. In fact, the IRS estimates, I think, of the charitable returns, 90% of them are CRTs and only 5% are, are CLTs. I believe it. And, and the reason is, you know, CLTs never made sense because they're, they're, they're a low, they're, they only really work well if they're set up when you have low interest rates. And so until 10 years ago or so, lead trust just didn't really work well. And so, so since 69, you know, everybody's done CRTs and you still have a lot of especially older practitioners that go right to the CRT, even mm-hmm. though the, the numbers aren't as compelling in most cases as the CLT. Um, so, uh, so in any event, um, yeah, the CLT, you know, famously was done by Jackie Onassis. And so it was always viewed as this kind of ultra wealthy tool that, that right. nobody really understood. They're a lot more complex than CRTs. Um, yeah. So, so I can talk a little bit more about, you know, in the last five years, what, how, it, how I've kind of developed this niche, if you like. Sure. And well, and one of the sort of base level things, I think, for people to understand or wrap their minds around with the you know, if you're familiar with uh, charitable remainder trust, which we've talked a ton about um, on the podcast previously, uh, shameless plug for prior episodes there. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're putting money into a trust. Some amount of money is being paid out typically annually with the CRT. It's usually coming back to you, the person who set up the trust. And at the back end, Whenever, whenever this time period is in the trust, whenever that runs out, the thing that's or the balance that's left in the trust, that goes to charity. That's the remainder trust. And then with the lead trust, you just flip it on its head. So the charity is getting the money up front. Now, the rules are different. It's a different legal structure. But that's sort of like the mechanics of it are that way. And sometimes when I'm talking to my clients about these sorts of things, I'll say, um, I'll say well, you have to view like, OK, if you're going to give money to charity, although this is true in other circumstances, too, but like if you're going to give money to charity, you have to view money like the IRS does, because they actually view every dollar as having a present value and then a future value. And they allow you to split those two things. So if you just write a check and give money directly to the charity, you're really giving them both things in the eyes of the IRS, even though you only get a deduction for one, the present value. But the IRS will let you divide those two things in halves and then give one piece to one person, one piece to the other. So with the remainder trust, you're giving the future appreciation on the dollar to the charity. And with the lead trust, you're really giving the present value of the dollar to the charity and you're keeping the future value almost always for family or people who are really nice to you during your lifetime. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the, the lead trust and the CRT, they look very similar. They're kind of as flip-flopped, right? So the CRT, mm-hmm. I get the interest first, maybe for 20 years, and then the rest goes to charity at year 20. Lead trust, charity gets the 20-year, and I get back whatever's left in year 20. But um, but when you really get into these charitable trusts, compare them, they're used for totally different purposes. Right. Um, they it, Even though they look very similar, and they also have mechanics that are completely different, so, for example, you know, just 30-second kind of simple, when to use the CRT versus a CLT. Mm-hmm. The CRT classic case is, hey, I've got this appreciated Apple stock, and I want to put it into the CRT, and I can sell it there. It's a CRT is tax-exempt, as most people know. It's almost like a 401k, where I can put money into it and sell something there, and there's no gain. And then I get back to the CRT, call it for 20 years, a stream of payments, um, and then whatever's left, I give to charity. And so that's a great play for selling an appreciated asset. It's got a it really a CRT doesn't work well if you're just putting cash into it. The numbers really work well if you have like a zero basis, you know, Bitcoin or something. Mm-hmm. You sell it inside of there. Um, now, CLT, on the other hand, now the CRT really doesn't give you much. If you're optimizing it, meaning you're trying to maximize the benefits to yourself, 
you're not going to get much of a tax deduction up front. It's only 10% of your contribution, okay? If you do the numbers, right. and you're maximizing what you get out of it. You're going to give charity the 10% actuarial, and you're going to give yourself a 90% annuity or unit trust. So the CRT and, does- And that's yeah. by rule. So just anybody who's confused, right. like, why is Jonathan coming up with this 10% rule? It's because the IRS and the code that's and the right, right to say, that's what you have to do. So, so they basically limit how- there's a limit on with a CRT and how much you can get back from it and a minimum you have to give to charity. And so it's good for selling an asset inside of it tax-free. That's cool. But you don't get much income tax deduction. That's key because the CLT, on the other hand, at least this optimized CLAT version that I do, which is stretch the charitable lead trust as, as far as po- the IRS allows. We pulled it in every direction to maximize what it gives back to the, the donor, the benefit minimizes the charity's interest so you fall within the irs approved safe harbors this optimized clat is all about the income tax deduction the crt remember that's to sell an asset inside of it the clt the optimal the old clat is all about i've got a big old income of, you know i'm a surgeon that made three million last year i'm a lottery winner i'm an actress i've got a big old ordinary income or hey i already sold my company earlier this year i didn't have time to do any income tax planning so you've got somebody that's just got this enormous income that, that they're going to pay huge taxes next April, and they need to manufacture a, an income tax deduction. That's the 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 OCLAT. That's where you need it. You, you you didn't. It's not. You already sold the asset. Or you have an income that you didn't sell. You just have a big ordinary income like a wage or a bonus, and you need to generate a big old deduction. Yeah, which happens all the time, right? Like you, you know, I know you and I get phone calls frequently from people saying. I'm going to sell my business and I think I want to give some to charity. And you say, great. Um, so when do you guys start negotiating? Oh, no, 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 no. We have a purchase agreement. We close in a week. Like, well, that's not a CRT situation. You're like the the window is totally closed for a CRT. So they've got to do something else. And it may be the case that even if they had come to you before, then you'd run the numbers like you're suggesting and figure out that, you know, maybe the CLT is a better idea because you do get this bigger charitable income tax deduction up front, which is what everybody wants. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, even for clients that haven't sold yet, when you run the numbers, uh, if they've got a long runway, meaning they're they're okay doing like a 30-year clap and they're okay not getting anything out of the clap. Remember, the CRT pays the client money over every year, whereas the CLT, you can't touch that until the end of the charitable term, the charitable lockup period, I call it. And so you've got to have an, a client that um, has a long runway, charitably inclined, doesn't need the money, they're okay locking it up, it looks a lot like a four, like almost like a retirement vehicle, if you think about it. A, a charitable, mm-hmm. this OCLAT, this optimized CLAT, you know, if I put a million dollars into it, I get a million dollar income tax deduction up front, similar to a 401k. Um, and I can't touch it for, call it 30 years, like a 401k. It's protected from my creditors and lawsuits, like a 401k. And at the end, there's a big old lump sum that comes back to me, like a 401k. Um, what's the difference? What are the advantages? The OCLAT, Number one, it can be funded with up to 30% of your income, regardless of how much you make. That means if you just hit the, you won the lottery, $100 million, you could put $30 million into it. You're an executive, you got a $10 million bonus this year, you could put $3 million into it. Your 401k, you got a little $19,000 contribution every year. Right. So, so big income. Plus, big plus income. the employer matching. Don't forget that, Jonathan. You can get <laughs> yeah, yourself right. all the way up to 37000 or so. So, so you still fund all that stuff, you know, but most of the clients that we're running across are either big old business sales yeah. or big old income, a couple million a year. And they've exhausted all the stuff, you know, 401ks, profit sharing, DB, DB plans. 
So number one, the OCLAT advantage is you can put up to 30% of your income into it. What's another advantage of it? The money out of your 401k, when it comes out at retirement, gets hit with ordinary income, right? So that's a 40% tax. Mm -hmm. And if most of our clients have a taxable estate, right? So they're going to be paying 40% death tax. Not only is there ordinary income, as you know, on the back end of a 401k, but there's also estate tax, 40% inheritance tax. So all in, you know, there's some offsets, but call it 60, 70% tax on your 401k when it's withdrawn and given to children. The OCLAT, not only can you put 30% of it in at the front end, on the back end, when the money comes out, there's no, it is not a taxable event, okay? It could be, you could come, take it back, you could give it to your kids. When assets come out of the OCLAT at year 30, it is not a taxable event. It's got a stepped up, it's got a carried over basis. Those assets are sold later. Sure, there's going to be some gains. But not only are there, is it not an income tax event on the back end, but the assets can also be gifted to children or other siblings or family members without the 40% gift or inheritance tax and without any use of the client's uh, lifetime gift exemption. That's yeah, huge. which is huge. It's huge. Yeah, because that yeah. gift exemption is extremely valuable, particularly for ultra high net worth families that every every dollar of that exemption that you use is is like precious. You know, it's platinum level uh, stuff and you don't want to just be using it on everything. That's right. That's right. So, and when you compare this OCLAT, you know, if you've got a client that sold their company, when you consider the income tax deduction and you and consider the back end that there's no taxes on it on the back end, and you model that pretty much against anything, a GRAT, an IGIT, anything else, apples to apples, that CLAT always wins, um, prime, especially if, um, especially with the interest rates getting higher, which we'll talk about. If you've got a client that was charitable anyways, they were going to give away the required amount from the CLAT regardless over the next 30 years. Uh, when you run that model, the CLAT always wins because they're getting this huge income tax deduction and then they've got all this money immediately out of their estate uh, growing for the benefit of their kids. So it's, it's really compelling. Um, just rough numbers. I like yeah. to use the one, two, five rule, okay? Um, on a $1 million CLAT, You've got, based on the current interest rates, you've got to give about $2 million on a 30-year CLAT to charity. And charity, and that's your donor advised fund. It doesn't have to go directly to charity. We're always rolling it into the donor advised fund, right? So that $2 million over 30 years gets paid into the client's charitable donor advised fund. From there, they can give out. It's like a family charity. And then at the end, there's about $5 million left, assuming a 7.5% rate of return on the assets. So the million dollars goes in. The client invest that anything they want it can't go into their active operating business and no personal use it's like a self-directed ira they can invest in anything else no personal use i uh, can't buy a car with it and they can't put it back into their operating business but you got 30 years and so we're usually more aggressive with this clat assets um because especially the charitable at two million dollars that has to go out to charity that doesn't really go out until the final five years. So you've got like 25 years to really invest this. Uh, so we're a little more aggressive. We use like a 7.5% rate of return. And then assu assuming that the one, two, five, one million goes in, two million to charity, there's $5 million in the back end. So it's a nice rule of thumb. So it could be 10, 20, 50. It's scalable. But that's 
kind of rule of thumb right. how much you can expect. Yeah, and that's that's I think that's a really nice illustration because it shows the different component parts to it. So if you think about a million dollars in today's money going in. You've got $2 million that's going to be paid to charity, but that's going to be paid over 30 years. And it maybe isn't going to be paid in, in equal increments, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Over 30 years, you mentioned the back end on the, the last five years. And then, you know, if you're, you're stretching this over the five, the 30 years, then at the end of the 30 years, it's the 5 million that's left over after paying off the 2 million. So really off that 1 million, assuming these rates of return, which are actually pretty, I don't think they're overly aggressive, frankly, but, you know, assuming these rates of returns, at least historically, it's not overly aggressive, you know, that's what you're going to have. So talk us through, because I think what you're, what you're hitting on is some of the the pieces to the optimized uh, qualifier on the charitable lead trust that you're describing. One is stretching it out over 30 years. So to explain the 30 year period, what's the magic of that? And then let's talk about the the payment structure for that 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, well, I, I, first I'll direct the audience uh, to the September 2020 issue of the National Estate Planning uh, Journal, the magazine. Uh, this made the cover uh, really because it was a novel use of repurposing a clat as a retirement strategy. That That's really the magic that I dreamt up about five or six years ago. And really what I'm, I'm credited for is repurposing this quiet charitable trust into uh, an easy to create, at least I, I after doing about 120 of these, I've created a process which we can talk about really to easily create this, quickly create this, um, really at any investment platform. Just It's another account that they open by the end of the year and they move the money in there and they've generated a deduction. So so this optimized version um, is really spelled out on you know 20 or so pages in that journal article. Again, the September 2020 Estate Planning uh, Magazine, I can share that with you. But really it, it the first section, there's about three sections. We've got kind of unpacking the OCLAT. Uh, the second second is really comparing it to a, as a synthetic retirement account, like we already talked about. And the third is a really interesting case study for like a, an attorney making $3 million a year, how he uses this and all the considerations. And JP Morgan's Manhattan team did all the quantitative analysis, um, and, and that's really interesting. But but to your question, how, how do we optimize it? Well, we've really stretched it in four or five different ways. I always give, I'm a car guy, so I always give the analysis, uh, the analogy of the Toyota Supra back in the 90s that some somebody realized that like if you if you spend five grand and, and, and modify the car in three different ways, it's got this engine that can produce like 800 horsepower for like five grand extra or something. So you've stretched the Supra as far as it'll go without blowing up. That's what we did with the CLAT. So number one, um, yeah, we used longer terms, 20, 30 years. Why? Well, what you're trying to do is get uh, create time between when you get this tax deduction, this extra money now, it's cash in hand. You know, if I put a million dollars of stock in there, I've got $400,000 extra now next April that I didn't give to the government. And so, so to get that extra money, we want to separate in time how long we have to give the promised amounts to charity. So the longer you can separate that and push off the charitable payments, the more time you have to invest and grow that extra dollars so number one we've used a longer term number two uh similarly uh we backload the charitable payments what does that mean well some of the audience has probably heard of a shark fin clat it's where you use a dollar every year and you balloon it at the very end arguably i think it's probably probably works under the regulations but i have some of the higher higher ups in, in dc at the irs that said hey i know you're the clat guy jonathan don't use the shark fin we don't like it that was a, about eight years ago uh when i was in silicon valley 
Um, and so we so we go with the IRS approved version, which is like 20% step increase like a grat. So over 30 years, you can start really small. And as long as you don't increase that charitable amount by more than 20%, you're good. And so basically that translates to about 65% of the CLATS charitable giving occurs in the final five years. And you're within that nice IRS safe harbor. So number one, we use the long term. Number two, we backload the charitable payments. Number three, we use the grantor trust version of CLAT. Only a grantor version gives you this nice upfront income tax deduction. Um, and then number four, we zeroed out. What does that mean? That means not every CLAT works like this. Most CLATs are kind of shorter term and they pay you know 5% or whatever every year for seven years, then it comes back to the client. So we zero out the CLAT, meaning that if you put a million dollars into the CLAT, <clears throat> we engineer the, the charitable payments so that your present value deduction is a million dollars. So I say, clients, hey, you put a million dollars into it, you get a million dollar deduction, and that translates to about two, two and a half million based on current interest rates that has to go to charity over 30 years. So long-term backloaded charitable payments, grantor trust to get the income tax deduction, we zeroed out, minimizing what the client has to lock up in there and giving them this dollar for dollar deduction, as well as dollar for dollar gift tax deduction. There's no gift when you fund it, remember. That means it's completely out of the gift tax system when you put the money in there. Uh, and any back any back in return, the, the five in our example, one, two, five, the five million dollars escapes the gift tax in the back end. So that's how we how we optimized it. Yeah, brilliant. And I, I, I think you and I have talked about the shark thin thing um in the past and my uh, my response has always basically been yours I'm like yeah i get where people are coming from i can see how that works because actuarially you can calculate everything therefore it's a it's a it's a certain sum of of money that's going to be paid that's the technical requirement or thereabouts in the in the code but i've always felt more comfortable with the 20 percent ratcheting up just because in the grat context that's what the irs says that they're comfortable with and this sort of feels yeah. a little like a grat in some ways, you know. Yeah, what's cool about just as a quick side, yeah, the grat, as people know, you usually do two or three of grats. Why? Because if you die in the grat term, you forfeit all the estate tax benefit. And so you gotta do these little puny two or three year terms with the clat, with why it beats the grat is if the with a clat, this type of the optimized clat, if the client dies the next day after funding, it's still out of their estate. Mm -hmm. That's why we can do a 30 year term or 40 year. The IRS has approved a 118 year clat. Okay, so you can you don't have any mortality risk with the estate tax. So you can go these long terms, lock in the low interest rates, which we still have to talk about. Um, you don't have this grat interest rate risk where they only work maybe for a couple of years and then we got. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a really good point, a really good distinction that that you don't have the same pressure. There's not the same like time pressure element like you would with the grat. And absolutely, uh, particularly for somebody that has a, a taxable estate or an estate that you think would be taxable doing a very long, long term grat setting aside a few sort of crafty um, grad <laughs> yeah. transactions with very long-term grads, you know, you're, you're typically not be best served to do that. Okay. So let's talk about the interest rates and, and how they come into play. Cause yeah. I think, uh, I think it's important for people to understand that dynamic. Yeah. So what I, I kind of flip it on its head. So a lot of attorneys will say, well, you get this deduction equal to the present value of all the charitable payments and you discount it. Clients find that confusing. So what I say is, look, if you put a million dollars in, in order to get a million dollar deduction, you have to promise charity a $1 million, essentially like a mortgage. It's almost like you're getting a, you put a million dollars in, I now owe a 30 year mortgage to charity. What's the interest rate on my mortgage to charity? 
the IRS tells it. Every month we get a new rate. It roughly tracks the 10-year treasury. Um, and so obviously the rates have been going up, um, but the, you lock it in when you fund. So right now we're using until the end of November, we've got 3.6% as the rate. That was the September rate. It's gone up for October. It's actually 4.0. We don't have to use 4.0 until December. What does this mean? Basically, again, I come back to that one, two, five rule right now on a 3.6% interest rate, $1 million, 30 year OCLAT. You've got to give, it's about $2.4 million. So $1 million goes in, $2.4 to charity, and you've got $5 million on the back end. At the end of 2020, I had a bunch of surgeons run in my door at the last week. I had a, like five surgeons. They were all partners in this big practice, and they all wanted to do my clap because, uh, especially when I, the, I told the first surgeon, we were using a 0.4%. This was, thank you, COVID. Yeah, it's um, basically, we, that might as well be zero. It was a 30-year, one million clat. You had to give 1.1, an extra 100 grand wow. to push off all that charitable giving 30 years out. It was unbelievable. Wow. Um, and so now, you know, now it's still historic low rates, right? 3.6. You still get this again, this one two five concept, assuming a seven and a half percent rate of return, which is, a, is mildly aggressive. Um, but you've got 30 years to invest it. Um, and and again, I'll, I, I want to touch on that. Um, one aspect of the CLAT I get asked is what happened? Why can you be aggressive with this bucket? Well, if you, if the CLAT fails, let's say 17 years in client made bad investments, they call me up. There's nothing left in my CLAT. Gee whiz. I owe, you know, a million and a half to charities. I can't, I don't, I've got nothing in the CLAT to give that money to charity. So it's, it's okay. There's the only bad news. You're not going to get anything back at your 30, as you know, but there's no personal liability to make up the amount to charity that charity did not get. Okay. So charity just does not get its full promised amount. They do not take back any of your upfront deduction. You still got the million dollar deduction. Charity just didn't get paid the full amount. Um, and it's a grantor trust. So even though the client picks up gains and in income along the way, like any other investment account, they also enjoy the losses and deductions. So they got them upfront a million dollar deduction. They picked up all of those a million dollar losses going down to zero. And there's no personal liability to make up the difference to charity. <clears throat> there are some bounds. You, you can be, you know, my document waives the duty to diversify, allows concentrated positions. But if you're really dumb, the jeopardy, the so-called jeopardy investment rules can yeah. kick in. But yeah. they're pretty hard to violate. You got to be really dumb with the money and you know, put it all in Bitcoin or naked put options or something. Right. And so, so my point is, is that we use sort of a, a higher rate of return because especially my Silicon Valley VCs, you know, they'll, They'll be pretty aggressive with the funds, knowing that if it goes to zero, there's no personal liability. They got the losses. They don't take away the deduction. So we can be aggressive, but not too aggressive. And so um, anyways, we're trying to beat that benchmark 3.6% that we fixed at the outset. And if you do, all that upside above the benchmark comes back to the family at the end, right? Yeah, so you want to be yeah. a little more aggressive. And it's basically like um, you're going to have your cake and then you're eating it, too. And the eating it, too, part is there's something left over in the trust at the end of the term. But you're already getting your cake up front So because you're already getting that deduction. Plus, to your point, if the investments are really losers, you're picking up the losses all along the way. <laughs> and, and in the end, if, if there's not enough money to get paid to charity, which, of course, is not what anybody is angling for. So I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Like we're just talking like worst case scenario. Right. You know, if the charity can't get paid all of its money, its promise isn't fulfilled. Well, the family's promise isn't fulfilled either. Because right. when the when the trust was originally set up, there's basically a promise to pay the family. 
whatever's left in the trust, which could be a lot, it just turned out it was zero. So That's both right. sides are going to be disappointed, but you, the person setting up the trust, you got to eat the cake first. And so you got you got your benefit right up front. And I think that's kind of the point that that maybe people forget about when they're sort of hedging on these, you know, what is the interest rate versus is it going to be successful? Is there going to be money left over? It's like, no, 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 that's all. That's like just that's extra. That's right. A lot of my yeah. clients view that clat as that. I mean, a lot of my clients that are doing the clat. They sold their business or whatever, and they've got this big income tax. And a lot of them come to me and they say, hey, my don't my financial advisor, you know, is saying a donor advised fund. Wow this thing, you know, DAF. Wow, it's great. I can put a million dollars in this and get a tax deduction and and I can keep investing this a million inside the DAF tax-free and down the road, I've got to give it all away to my favorite charities at some point. I never get anything back, but but great. I get a deduction now and I can kind of keep investing the money. I said, well, yeah, that's awesome. And if, if you're purely charitable, that's the best thing that you can do. That beats a clap for somebody that says, I don't care. I don't want anything back. I want all this to go to charity. But if you are also interested in yourself and your family, the OCLAT looks much better because mm -hmm. I can put a million dollars into a DAF or a million dollars into an OCLAT. I get the same income tax deduction as you mentioned. However, with the OCLAT, I pay $2 million fixed to charity over the next 30 years and I get back $5 million. Your DAF isn't going to give you a dime back. Same right. income tax deduction up front. The OCLAT pays a bunch back. Now, for those clients, they look at the OCLAT as, well, I wasn't going to get anything back from my DAF either way. So if my OCLAT fails 18 years in, that's fine. You know, I still got the same deduction. Charity got the money. It just didn't get as much as I, I, I hoped it to. And I didn't get any, any bonus back at the end. But that was not my ex – my expectation was never to get anything back on that a million anyways. I was going to give it all away to my, my charitable DAF. Right. No, I, I think that's such – it's a really good point for people to understand because it's – well, I mean, it's a similar thing with grats that I'll, yeah. that I'll get asked too with the grats. Like, sure. well, what happens if we don't, you know, win on the grat? Like, nothing. Nothing happens. Right. Nobody, nobody gets any money. That's what happens. It all goes, right. it all reverts back to the way it used to be. So it's not really that much different, but it's more the, you can take a, the answer could be you beat the benchmark, like you were pointing out this 3.6% rate for the time being, um, you beat the benchmark and there's money left over. Great. You won, but you, you have no option to win if you don't play first, like you got to play the mm -hmm. hand and then you may be able to win. And, right. but the outcome is going to be the same regardless, like playing the hand directly to the, to the DAF versus playing it to the OCLAT, like the outcome for you is going to be the same because you're getting that deduction. So I think it's a really good point for people to sort of square in their brains. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up here, because I know you're on a limited time fuse here, but the, the, the interest rate, the reason that you can use interest rates from different months, like we're in the month of October right now, and we're talking about the September rate, um, is because with, with anything charitable, you get to look back two months. So if there's a better interest rate two months prior, you can use the prior month. So that anyways, for anybody confused by that, that's the yeah. weird rule. Don't ask me why it is that way. It just is. Yeah. You know, so we've talked a lot about the mechanics of the OCLAT. You know, um, the interesting part, sort of the magic that I've, I've kind of created over the years with this thing is, you know, first I had to like master the vehicle. Like I've read every PL, every private letter ruling and, and IRS ruling on CLATs. You know, going back to their creations, you have to master. This is a very tricky vehicle, but so you have to so I've kind of master the vehicle. And then and then I have like a really interesting financial model. I, uh, you know, I wish if this is visual, I could share. So I, when I first developed this, you know, I have a finance accounting background. So I developed sort of this calculator that I, that I oftentimes you know, get referred 
this time of year, at least once a day, somebody around the country, hey, I heard about the CLAT. We hop on a half hour Zoom. I go through kind of, I have some, I have a frequently asked questions and materials that I send them before the call. But during that call, we go through the Excel model. So, you know, so there's like the, the master of the, the, the actual vehicle, then there's the, the number crunching and be able to show clients the value. But then, and a CPA told me this once, he said, why isn't this out? I asked him, I said, why, why don't more people do this CLAT? And he said, well, you got to master the vehicle. You got to have the, the, the mastery of the financial going on behind it. But then critically, number three is you've got to be able to communicate this to clients. And so um, when I first drummed this up five years ago, you know, I went around presenting and I didn't get a lot of traction because I was talking like a lawyer. But what I kind of packaged this up is, look, this is as simple as going to your, imagine we could go to your investment advisor, open up a, a, a special investment account. It looks like any other investment account. You're on it. You're the trustee of the class. So you're on the account. You get to invest it, but you can move a million dollars into this vehicle. You get a million dollar income tax deduction. Number two, that a million dollars is immediately protected from your creditors. And number three, that a million dollars is immediately out of your estate when you die. No inheritance taxes when you give it to your kids. How does that work? Well, we've got this 30 year um, charitable lockup period where you've got to give up a slice off a portion of the account to charities. But then I go through the one, two, five rule. You know, you get a million dollars in, two million has to go to charity, five million projected at the back end until it looks and smells like a retirement account. And so I've kind of productized it. And then the process itself, I tell clients, look, you don't do a thing. Basically, I do a bunch of complicated legal work, but I send the documents over to your investment advisor. We go through, you know, crafting the powers of the client, 15, 20 different decisions. But I said, this, this is not going to take up a lot of your time. I do all this complex legal work, open up the account, get the tax ID number, and you just put whatever you want into it. It doesn't have to be cash, stocks, bonds, worth a million dollars, that's fine. Um, and then, you know, and then we have a, a back-end memo that we share with the CPA. So I have this kind of created this kind of magical process that I can do, at the end of the year, I can do these within like 72 hours. I, I don't like to do that, but but I've got it down and, and I don't use any junior associates. I, I don't frankly trust any attorney probably in the state other than maybe you, Brent, to, uh, to draft these things. They're so tricky. I clean up a lot of messy ones. But yeah, yeah, so that, that kind of process is the magic behind kind of whatever created with this. Yeah, and I love that. And it's so good that you've got to have, you have to have a way to communicate these difficult things to clients. And, you know, we've been, we've been kind of dancing around this analogy to a retirement account. Well, <clears throat> most people who set up a 401k plan for their business, they're not trying to get into the weeds of the what all the little nuances of ERISA and Section 401 and 501 of the code are like they're they're relying on other people to do all the complex stuff in the background because it is very complex. But they're mm -hmm. focusing on the real practical, understandable, digestible piece, piece that then, mm -hmm. of course, compels people to set up those sorts of plans for themselves. I think this is, and it sounds like you're hitting on it, like this is similar to that, that the way, well, to, yeah. the way to explain it is that way. Yeah, and I think, you know, and you've seen our, our seven page frequently asked questions, um, you know, as part of the process, that's the first thing I send out is the one page overview and the FAQ, which after doing about a hundred of these, I earlier this year, a friend suggested, I, I thought that's great. I'm gonna put down every question and make it very simple and explainable. So we got the FAQ on the front end, and we've got a, when we go through the process, we've got a, a memo when we're designing the document that goes out to the client. And then there's the back end, I call it the instruction manual memo that we mm -hmm. share with the CPA and the investment advisor. So 
like a 401k, clients want to know the high level points and know how it works. Um, and we've kind of designed the process and the materials so that they have information on the front end and then this kind of instruction manual on the back end. Again, this stuff has taken hundreds of hours to kind of perfect over the years. But but from a user standpoint, it's really simple. They end up with this basically this account that looks and smells like any other investment account. Uh, they got a little charitable payment that comes out every year. We make sure the investment advisor does that and we check in and there's a tax return for it. But but otherwise, it looks like any other investment account. So it's, it's pretty cool how taking this incredibly car, arcane charitable trust that nobody understands uh, outside of maybe a dozen of us in the country and um, and repurposed it as this usable, friendly kind of retirement vehicle. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Jonathan, this has been a lot of fun. Um, we could be talking about this stuff for hours uh, until nobody <laughs> is listening anymore. So uh, for people who are trying to trying to connect with you, which I'm sure there are many out there, um, what's the best way for them to do it? Yeah, usually the best thing, if, it, if it's a, a client or a, an advisor with potentially a client, uh, is to just email me at jmorrison at frgalaw.com. It's Fraser Rand, Goldberg, and Arnold. I'm a senior partner here at the firm. Uh, and just give me the basic you know, info, you know, in a paragraph. I usually respond. I kind of have a, a stock form message that I respond with the FAQ and the materials and suggest, hey, spend 20 minutes, no more reading this, and then we'll schedule a 30-minute Zoom to kind of go through the numbers and any questions not covered by the FAQ. That is the start, a nice start of the process. So I get a lot of those late in the year. And yeah, please come and see me now. Earlier the better. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't wait, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get very busy in November and December with these. So um, that's my year in clat season, I call it. So yeah, that's that's it's a very easy, simple process, and I don't charge for any you know consultations or analysis. Uh, so and all of this is a everything. The entire process is covered by one one-time flat fee, including all future communications. Clients can duplicate the CLAT for future years. We don't charge for any of that. It's all covered by an upfront uh, flat fee. Yeah, awesome. Well, anybody looking for you can find you there. I'll also add your contact information in the notes of the show. So people, you know, drilling down into the Googles, uh, they should find you there. Jonathan also is findable on Google too, if you just Google his name. Like he does exist. It's not like <laughs> there's no magic to it. He's out there. Jonathan, thank you so much. It's always it's always fun for me to catch up with you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.